Open your Bibles to John 14. John 14, we're continuing our study through the Gospel of John. We're actually joining a conversation that started back in chapter 13 and runs all the way to 17. It's called the Upper Room Discourse. Now, think about this. This is Jesus sharing a meal and sharing words uh, with those closest to him on the eve of his death. So, so, you know, let's, we can get in these shoes. Imagine if you were able and you knew that in 24 hours you would be dead, as Jesus knows, he'll be dead in 24 hours. What would you say to those you love the most? I'm being serious. What, if you were able to speak and you knew that was, what would you communicate? I have a feeling there wouldn't be a lot of fluff in it that it would be the essentials, it would be the most important things that you would wanna pass on and communicate. And I want us to feel that all the way through this, you know, we're gonna be in this for several weeks, this upper room discourse. But these are a man's last words. They're Jesus's final words and they really, really matter. You've gotta go back three years earlier to get the context again. Three years earlier, Jesus says, come and see, follow me. Come on, I'm gonna make you fishers of men. And they, these, these men follow Jesus. They walk with him for three years. Fast forward from that moment to this upper room and this intimate dinner. And Jesus is basically telling them, it's over. It's coming to an end. And I've got to believe in their minds, it's, this is not what we signed up for three years ago. It is, uh, honestly, I think if Jesus had said these things before they ate, no one would eat because he says things that make you lose your appetite. Here's the, here, here's the main course. One of you's gonna betray me. Ugh. Peter, Peter, yeah, you the leader, the most vocal, uh, you're gonna deny me three times. And then not to leave anyone out in the room, he says, let me say this to all of you. You're all gonna desert me in my greatest hour of need. I mean, that's the main course. And then desert. And I'm leaving. Like, put, put you again in there. What, you're, you're leaving. I'm leaving. Can you imagine the thoughts that are running through their minds? This is not what they expected. Is it any wonder that the statement that holds this whole upper room discourse together, okay, is actually what Rob unpacked last week in 14.1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. They've, they've, they have, they've experienced trouble, but none like this, <laughs> quite frankly. The word troubled carries this idea of being shaken up, disturbed, unsettled, thrown into confusion, characterized by distress or affliction. I would say they're troubled. And I would say to all of us in the room, anyone online, you do not make it through this life untroubled. We actually live, I believe, in fallen bodies in a fallen planet. We actually live in a at some level, a constant state of trouble. We can't escape it. 
Now it's on a spectrum and your trouble may not be, you know, Mount Everest trouble going on in your world, but there's always rumblings of trouble in your life and mine, even as I'm talking now. The question is, what's our way through it? Another way of thinking about what's happening to them is when your expect, their expectations, when your expectations run into God's purposes and plans, what gives and how do we, how do we keep going? These men will, their troubled hearts will lead them to do exactly what Jesus said. Jesus betrays him. Peter dies him three times. They all flee, left Jesus. And by the way, when, when uh, at his crucifixion, what we find in the, in the story is that they're hiding. Close the doors. They close the doors, they're hiding because they do not want the Roman rulers to do to them what they did to their rabbi. It's fascinating that from hiding behind closed doors, if we step over into the book of Acts in the very beginning of the book of Acts, we find these same men who were hiding, actually just standing on street corners, proclaiming that Jesus is Lord. And they're doing it right in front of the people they were hiding for, just hiding from just days earlier. You go, wait, wait, well, how do they go from that to this? And it's almost like, it's like they're possessed by, by some foreign power, you know, that's unknown to them there in a sense. They are possessed in the very best way. And you know the story. I'm speaking of the, the person of the Holy Spirit whom we've been singing of this morning. For many people, the Holy Spirit, it's been said, is the forgotten member of the Trinity, kind of gets the least amount of press. There's a reason for that. We'll talk about it at the end. It's not Jesus's intention, though. Here, in his last conversation, you know, deathbed conversation, so to speak, with those he loves most, he can't stop talking about the Holy Spirit. So today is really a primer you know, I'm not gonna, we're not, there's so much more that can be said, but boy, I'll tell you, there's never less than what we're gonna talk about this morning as Jesus presents to them and to us the person and work of the Spirit. For it's by the Spirit, see, it's by the Spirit when, when our expectations run into God's purposes and plans, how do we keep going? By the person of the Holy Spirit. I've got four points I'm gonna make this morning or four things Jesus, four points Jesus makes um, that'll outline our text uh, first is the presence of Christ. You'll see in 15 and 17, 15 to 17, 18 through 23 is the witness of the Spirit. First is the presence of the Spirit, the witness of the Spirit, then the work of the Spirit, and then the peace of the Spirit. So there's what we're gonna work with this morning as we move through this passage. Let's start with the presence of the Spirit. Look in your Bibles, God's word for us today, John 14, verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even, that even, go in English like this. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Two two fundamentals person who work in the Holy Spirit is number one, notice the personal pronouns. He, 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 the Holy Spirit is a person. 
he thinks, he wills, he feels, he. Secondly, the Holy Spirit will be with them and will be in them. How long? Say, how long? When the Holy Spirit's in you, forever. This Greek word uh, for helper is paraclete. It means one called alongside. It's, It's such a, it's a word that can't be easily captured in one definition. And so if whatever translation you're reading from, it's probably different from the ESV, which is what we teach from. Your Bible may say the comforter, the teacher, the advocate, the counselor, the guide. I mean, which is it? Which is it? It's all of them and more. You might think of it this way. What Jesus was to them physically during those, what Jesus was to them, encourager, guide, comfort, advocate, you know, what he was to them, the Holy Spirit is to us. Nothing, not one iota less to us than what Jesus was to them. You might say it like this, whatever your need, it is the Spirit that meets that need. Paul says in Romans 8, 9, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, conditional. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Two things. When you trust Christ as your Savior, when you put your faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, you you are indwelt by the person of the Holy Spirit. If the Spirit does not live in you, then you are not a Christian. You are not born again. If you've placed your faith in Christ, the Spirit dwells in you. Notice here he calls the Spirit, the Spirit of God. Then he says, the Spirit of Christ, which is it? Which is it? It is both. It is both. There's such mystery in this that we can can only grasp with our minds, but Jesus is clear in what he says. And he says, he will be in you. Y'all like in you. How many of us I have, don't raise your hand, but have, have often said, oh, I just wish, I wish I lived in the days of the disciples so I could just talk to Jesus. Jesus is right there. I, want, I, just, I just need to see Jesus to be with him. Well, Jesus is telling us he's, that he, Jesus, by the person of the Spirit, is not gonna be with you, he's gonna be in you, in us. We're just talking about golf you know, I like to golf, and so I'm always watching videos of how to swing the club, right? And you watch the pros swing it, and you kind of imitate, okay, I need to imitate what they're doing. Do you not get, we need to understand when it comes to the Christian life, it's not that we imitate Jesus. We look at Jesus, what he did, I gotta imitate that. No, we go one step further. Jesus, it'd be like me watching Rory McIlroy on a, on a video and going, I need to do that. What if Rory McIlroy possessed my body? What if he came in me? Oh my gosh, you know, it's, It's totally weird, but it would be what's true is that Jesus himself is in you, is in me. It's not that we have to imitate him. He's in us, the Holy Spirit in us, such that we trust the Holy Spirit to actually reproduce the life of Christ through us. It's why we have a value Here at Fellowship, spirit dependent. The Holy Spirit is the presence 
of Jesus in us. Paul said it, you know, this, I used to always be confused about this. Paul said it clearly when he said in Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Wait, wait, Paul, how does Christ live in you? In the person of the Holy Spirit. Secondly, the witness of the Spirit. Look at 18 to 23. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live. You also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me and he who loves me will be loved by my Father and I will love him and manifest myself to him, make real, make known, reveal myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you'll make yourself known? You'll manifest yourself to us and not to the world. Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him. And we, y'all, here's the, can you believe this? And we will come to him and make our home with him. Who's the we? The father and the son. There is, a, there is a sense in which you and I are indwelt by the triune God. That, that should make our heads explode. But Judas asked the question, it's a good question. Why are you gonna make yourself known to us and not to the whole world? Because we're following you because you're the Messiah and you as Messiah need to show the whole world that you're Messiah so the whole world will bow down to you and trust you. You gotta, you gotta show yourself, Jesus. And, and Jesus' answer is profound. He says, I will manifest myself to the world by making my home in you. So the witness, so, so, so what the world, for the world to see what God is like, God himself says, I will indwell those who put their faith in my son and they'll show the world what I'm like. Oh my, you're talking about a weight and a responsibility and a privilege. It's what I do when I do weddings, and I, I had one last week, last weekend, but I always talk about the fact that the marriage is there. This person is marrying this person in order that the two of them loving each other, dying to self to love each other, Bible says you're gonna do that so that you can show the whole world what I'm like. It's true for every Christian. Spirit indwells us that God might know what, that the world might know what God is like. Verse 20 is confounding to me, to be honest. It's, it, it's difficult to grasp. He says, in that day you will know, and probably the day of Pentecost, the Spirit, indwell, you know, Spirit indwells them at that time. In that day you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. It's almost like who's in who, what's in what, you know, who's, go backwards and I sort of get it. If I start backwards, he says, Jesus says, I am am in you. And I go, yes, yes, because I've put my trust in you, Jesus. The spirit of Christ, Jesus, you live in me. I get that one. Back, go backward again. He says, and you're going to be me. So then we go, wait, wait, wait. So I'm also in Jesus. And right. And that's, we see that in the epistles where we're in the body of Christ. We're in Christ himself. I get that. I get that. Then you go backwards to that start. It says, and I am in my father. You go, wait, wait. Okay. Okay. Jesus, you're Okay. You're in me, Jesus, I'm in you, and you're in the Father. It is, it is a picture, I think, of such intimacy. You, you cannot belong more fully than to be in Christ. Do you see that? Remember, it's Blaise Pascal that talked about the vacuum in the heart that only can be filled by God. 
I think this is, this is, I think it's, I think this is pointing at that, that there is a longing in every heart to belong. It's just, it's just there made in the image of God. We long and there's, there's space there that can only be filled by God. And you see, it is the spirit who indwells us. And in a sense, the triune God that indwells us, that fills that back, because it can only be filled by God himself. And the intimacy is almost beyond words. The presence of the Spirit is Jesus living in us. The witness of the Spirit is, is God in us through our words and actions. The world sees who God is and what he's like. And third, there's the work of the Spirit, verse 24 to 26. He says, whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Everything Jesus said was from the Father. They were so connected. These things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you. But the helper, there's the paraclete, right? But he gets super specific, so we're not wondering. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will, number one, teach you all things. And number two, bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Now, there's two levels of application here. The first, of course, is to the apostles. And the apostles themselves, you know, they came to under—they came to understand the gospel and spiritual truth just like you and I do. It took the person and work of the Spirit to open their eyes up to get it. <laughs> they didn't grasp it all, right? Even though Jesus was teaching them and telling them, right? There's so many times we see them. Jesus go, "Do you not understand what I'm saying?" They didn't, and they wouldn't fully until the Spirit comes upon them in them, and then it, it all begins to click. You know, begin to understand. So. That's how they learn. It's how we learn. Secondly, though, directly related to the apostles, Jesus says, you'll bring to mind everything. He'll bring to mind all that you need to know. Now, the reason, the reason we have this book we're reading from and these words from John is not because John, you know, recorded it all as Jesus said it. No, no, this is, this is years later. John is writing these words, writing literally the words we're reading, he's writing them. He has to remember what, you know, he has to remember what Jesus said and what Jesus did. I mean, can you, I, I can't remember what I, what I did this weekend and it's not even over. It's kind of that, but they were, the spirit brings to mind, inspired by the spirit. He's recording all that Jesus, and Jesus said this and Jesus did this and he's writing it. This is a little pedantic maybe, but he brings to mind, brings to remembrance all that he said. That means, okay, what the Spirit does is he brings back to your mind, okay, something, words that were spoken earlier. To remember means something happened earlier, you know, and so I've got to remember what happened earlier. And I only want to make this direct connection because it's so essential to the Christian life. God has revealed all that we need to know of life and faith and hope, this life and the life to come. It's, it's known, it's been revealed such that the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit is bringing things to our mind, the Holy Spirit is not, gonna, is not bringing new revelation. Let me tell you something that someone didn't know, but now I'm telling, no, it's all here. So, so it means for you and I, we've got to give the Spirit something to work with. 
Remember the psalmist, he said this, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. What did he mean? He meant, the psalmist meant, I've read your word, God. I've meditated on it. It's like in me. I have your word in me. And then somewhere down the line, it could be years, days, I don't know, but he faces a temptation. He faces a challenge. His expectations run into God's purposes and plans. What does the spirit do? Brings to mind what he hid in his heart back then. And he brings those promises to, your, to mind. Rob and I are constantly encouraging and exhorting all of us to, 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 to go baseline on this. This is just this foundational baseline. Read your Bible. Just read it. I, I, I didn't say this last service, but I, I meant to. And that is, you know, when I read my Bible, y'all, I don't come away from my Bible reading all the time with wonderful insights. I don't come away from it like, oh my gosh, that was perfect for this or that. I, I don't. There are many times I read it, I don't even remember what I read, but, but I, I'm trying and I read it. But I read it because there'll come a day when I'll need what I read that I don't remember, but the Holy Spirit does. I mean this. And will bring to your mind and mine oh my, what I need in that moment. But, but it's gotta be on the hard drive in some ways. This makes sense. Just an encouragement to me, quite frankly, to make sure I am absolutely in my Bible on a regular basis. So there is the presence of the Spirit, Jesus in me, the witness of the Spirit. It's, it's, it's through us that God makes himself known. Uh, there is the work of the Spirit. He teaches and he brings to remembrance. And then finally, the peace of the Spirit. Look in your Bibles, verses 27 to 31. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. Now I have told you before it takes place so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me. But I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. First, no, he says, because I am going to the Father. What does he mean, I'm going to the Father? He's referring you all to his glory. And his glory is the cross. And it's by the cross that he secures our peace with God. He's got to go to the cross. And he says, I'm telling you these things so that when you see me on the cross, you remember, wait a minute, he said this. When he speaks here, he says, uh, the ruler of this world is coming. What does he mean? He means Judas, filled with the devil, is on his way to betray him. The devil's the ruler of this world. He says, but he has no claim on me. What does he mean by that? It means he has no, no right on my life. He has no claim upon my life. The devil has only has a claim 
on that person who sins because the wages of sin is death. So the devil has a claim. If you sin, the devil's got a rightful claim to you, death. Jesus says, he has no claim on me. (laughs) So when you see me on the cross and when you see me dead and buried, this word will come back to you because when I rise from that grave, oh my gosh, you'll know death had no grip on him because he had no sin, which is why he rose from the dead. Why the, but why did he die? Because he died for our sins. You just see him saying the Holy Spirit just begins to make it all come together for them. Jesus is telling, telling them in advance so that when it happens, the Spirit will bring all this back to their mind. And oh my goodness, they will believe. This peace is, it's so much more than the absence of conflict. Um, You know, we think of peace in our world today and we think, thank goodness they've stopped fighting. I mean, that's sanity, you know, that's good for everyone. Let's not kill each other and let's live, you know, live separate, but not harm each other. That the peace that we're talking about, Jesus talks about is so much more than that. The word is shalom. And the, the, perhaps one way to think about this is it is all things as God intends. So, so see, that's way more than, okay, no one's fighting anymore. That's, that's good, but that's not shalom. Shalom is, it's beyond that. It's everything is God intends. It's full orbed flourishing and wholeness. Everything set right. Everything as God always intended it to be. And of course it begins with peace with God that Jesus secured by his life, death and resurrection. But it's also the deep and abiding conviction with that peace that I can trust God is in control. I have the assurance that God has not only secured my eternity, but that God is in control of my life. And when things go the way I don't want them to go, or my, they're, they, my expectations crash into God's purpose and plan, I can rest assured God is on the throne. And God uses even all these events in my life for my good and his glory. The world can't, can't give that. It can't, it, can't make us in a, it can't put us in a right relationship with the holy God. It can't assure us that all things will be and are working for wholeness. Money can't give this. Success can't give this, achievement can't. Getting married won't do that for you. Having children, oh, grandchildren, they won't fill your cup, they won't give you peace. A fulfilled bucket list won't won't bring the peace, the shalom that God himself only brings through Jesus Christ, none of it. Only Jesus crucified, buried, and risen, trust in him, brings that, peace, brings that measure of peace. We understand it 
We actually experience it in our being by the person of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. I'm just gonna put the four points back on the screen. I'm gonna ask you to look at it, go through it, and I'm just gonna invite you to take a moment to pray. Invite the worship team back up here. We'll sing in a moment. Again, just a primer on the Spirit. Just a primer. The presence of the Spirit is Jesus in us. The witness of the Spirit, it's how do we, how do we show the world what, what God is like? It's we depend on the Spirit and the Spirit expresses Jesus' life in and through us. How, do we, how are you even understanding anything I'm saying and how am I even understanding anything the Bible's saying? The work of the Spirit in me and in you? And how? Where do we find the peace, as Paul will later say, that surpasses all understanding? How do we find that peace? Not, okay, everything's calm now because everything will never be utterly calm in your life. But through Christ, dependent upon the spirit, y'all, we can, in our troubles, in, our, in the midst of troubles, we can rest, we can have peace that God's in control. Just look at the list and ask the spirit to be what you need him to be for you today. you to take your communion elements. If you missed it, go outside and grab it. This is for those who've put your trust in Christ. If you've, if you've put your faith in Christ, this table is a reminder of that which you've done and that which God has done on your behalf. So open the cup and take the bread and the cup and let's stand together. We'll take this standing as we prepare to worship and song. Just hold the bread and the cup in your hand to this table week by week to remind ourselves of the person and work of Jesus. And we actually understand Jesus because, because and only because the Holy Spirit opens our eyes to see it. Jesus dying on a cross, being buried and raised from the dead, it's foolishness. It was foolishness to me. It was foolishness, Paul says those who don't believe but when God opens your eyes it's the power of the gospel so we thank you Lord Jesus that by your life lived perfectly and your sacrificial death on our behalf you secure our peace your body was broken on that cross and we, we remember it symbolized in this bread broken on 
our behalf and we, we demonstrate and remind ourselves that we're trusting you as we take and receive it. Take and receive the bread. that you poured out your life because life is in the blood and yours was given. Your blood was not the blood of bulls and goats, but of the perfect Son of God, holy and blameless. So by your life, you paid the penalty we earned and deserved. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you've opened our eyes to see what Jesus has done for us. Lord, we remember the cross this morning. We remember an empty tomb. Receive the cup. It's often the forgotten member of the Trinity. I assure you, uh, Jesus doesn't see it that way because we're going to keep coming to the Holy Spirit through the upper room discourse over and over and over again. But it's easy to lose him only in this way maybe because he's always making a big deal about Jesus and never himself. He's always shining the spotlight. Look at Jesus, not look at me how good it is and how right it is then that we would end our time today. Not so much saying, look at the Holy Spirit, but actually listening to the Holy Spirit and looking at our King of Kings, our Lord of Lords, and the great cost which He paid that we might have peace. Let's sing of that this morning.